Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. 1850 715 996. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. They're underway. Well, they were kind of underway before we got off the air yesterday. Uh, before we started, we knew they were underway. We knew that polling day would be the 8th of February, which is a Saturday, the first Saturday in 100 years. We've had all that. We'll discuss all of that. Uh, Ken O'Flynn will be joining me in studio in a little while to tell me what. Why he's running as an independent? What this? What prompted him to make that decision? But first of all, Deirdre, um, you've been talking all evening and all morning to people who were eyewitnesses and involved in that horrific joyriding incident out in Blackpool yesterday, which could have been an awful lot worse, but for the actions of some some very. Um, watchful locals. Yeah, absolutely. The incident took place in Blackpool Shopping Centre, more so over in the retail park side of it. Uh, yesterday afternoon, not that long after the show finished, PJ, we had a couple of pictures sent in to us and mm. as the afternoon unfolded yesterday, we got the full facts of what had happened. Um, there, it was a joyrider, we believe, a juvenile, somebody who has been detained since. Um, basically, went wild in the retail park area. We've spoken to a number of the people who were involved and actually the lady who was injured. So this guy basically drove the car all around the retail park and came in via the entrance there at South Dock, if you know where that is, in Blackpool. Um, Drove in there and went in around the industrial estate and then from there into the retail park. Obviously that's a really busy retail park, uh, particularly since Aldi moved in there a number of years ago. Um, People come in going all the time. There's not a lot of space to drive around there and it was inevitable that he was going to hit cars. So according to one of the witnesses I spoke to, um, the car drove into the industrial estate. The driver was very young, seemed to be having trouble driving and the car kept stalling. Mm-hmm. So people obviously seeing him would have realised that there was a problem. Um, he scraped a van down near South Dock. The van driver went to follow him after this happened. Uh, he hit another van and the van driver fo- kept pursuing him. He rammed a tire, a car at the tyre shop next to South Dock and took off into the retail park. A lady was pulling out of the car park at Lifestyle Sports and he hit her head on. So yeah. there were reports yesterday afternoon of this uh, lady. She was referred to as an elderly lady in the reportage PJ but I am at pains to point out that she is not an elderly lady. Um, more about her in a moment. He kept driving driving um, after hitting this lady at 40 to 50 kilometres an hour. Basically, her car apparently lifted into the air and did a 180 degree turn mm. at this point. Um, the onlookers were really shocked. People actually thought there may have been a fatality in that car, but the joyrider kept driving and um, 
no control of the car. The tyres had blown. He got stuck at the traffic lights between the uh, retail park and the shopping centre, which is a main road and a very busy main road. Um, so a number of members of the public basically had tried to apprehend him at this point. I think at the point the car stopped, people went to try and get him out of the car. Yeah. Um, and catch him. The van driver at the beginning, who had been sitting outside South Dock on a phone call um, with the car stopped, uh, actually was the one who was still in pursuit. This guy got out of his van, ran after the guy down the mall, into Dunn stores, out the back, onto the Watercourse Road, down to Blackpool Church and through a housing estate where the guards arrived and they caught him at Dino's. Fair play. Yeah, so the guy, the van driver who actually caught him in the end does not want to be named. I spoke right. to him yesterday um, and he just said he, he reckons there's there was some kind of a substance issue there and he said yeah. he really hopes the young guy gets the help he needs. But obviously he, it was very, very, very fortunate that nobody was killed because the lady who was in that car, um, her name is Carmel Ring. She's not elderly, she's 63. Um, she said she's a spring chicken. Uh, we've been in touch with her. She's been texting the station and I was speaking to her yesterday evening and she says, thanks to 96FM, first of all, for keeping her company overnight mm. because she has been up all night reliving what happened. She's obviously very traumatised by this because she thought she was going to die. Mm. Um, she's battered and bruised. She's a swollen knee. She can't talk because she's in, an injury to her mouth, fractured ribs, and she's just very, very thankful to be alive. Okay. And she wanted us to pass on her thanks to everybody. She said she can, can't remember everyone who was there, but she said the two Denises from the ambulances, Annette from Boots, another lady with a small boy, Eric the Garda from Mayfield. She said she nearly dislocated his hand squeezing it. Um, Sergeant Kieran Callagher, the security men from the Blackpool Shopping Centre and lots of other people came to her aid and she wanted to thank particularly the guy who caught the joyrider and yeah. she said when she's better she will thank them all personally. There is great coverage actually, uh, to be credit where it's due there's great coverage on the Echo this morning they've, they've a lot of photographs uh, including one on the front page of there in the shopping centre, a lot of fire brigade personnel mm. and, and a, a fire brigade unit and you can see the damage to one of the cars, like the camera could quite easily. It's a miracle she's alive. It is a miracle she's alive, yeah. Absolute um, miracle. It absolutely is. And thank God nobody else was hit because there w it's a very busy, well-populated area and there's usually a lot of pedestrians around that car park. Um, it's if, if people are familiar with it, it's quite difficult actually to make your way around that car park as a pedestrian at the best of times. So it's just a miracle he didn't hit anybody out in the middle of the road, anybody with kids or anything. So Carmel is okay. She's She will live to fight another day and she wants us to pass on her thanks. And to the hero who rescued her... Um, um, she wanted to thank him. We haven't spoken to him. We know who he is, but mm. he wants to remain anonymous and he's not looking for any publicity. All ah, right. Okay. 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 And there's a, somebody in custody. Okay. There is, that's right. The guards have detained okay. him. I think he was arrested in hospital. All right, Dean. Thanks very much for that. An absolute miracle. And our our our, uh, our condolences, our thoughts are with Carmel in particular this morning. But I guess anyone who was down there who was working or who was shopping or who was just passing by, minding their own business, and this happened. Frightened the living life out of you. So, um, best wishes to Carmel. Maybe we'll talk to her when she's better. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot of Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kill dried wood and gas. SolidFuelDepot.ie The Cork Diary On Cork's 96FM The Cork Sub-Aqua Club an Irish Underwater Council affiliate will be holding its annual Tri-Dive event on Wednesday the 15th of January at 7pm at the Mayfield Sports Complex 
The event is free of charge and aims to give a taste of scuba diving for those who might wish to train as a qualified diver. For more info, check out the club's Facebook page. A crafts and holistic fair in aid of Cork Penny Dinners will take place in the Metropole Hotel, McCurtain Street, on Sunday, the 26th of January, from midday to 5pm. There'll be everything from Reiki and card readings to manicures and hairstyling, and all are welcome to attend. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. The Cork Diary. With the Wellbeing Network. Connect, take notice, be active, keep learning, and give. See the Wellbeing Network.ie. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. 1850 715 996. We, we've been asking you, Deirdre was asking on Facebook this morning, what are the issues that will matter to you? over the next 20-something days as we count down to uh, Election Day, which is the 8th of February. And and we'll read out during the course of the morning some of the things that people think are big issues. But we'll be encouraging people as well over the next few weeks to vote. Whatever you do, vote. Don't care if you vote for dust on the turkey. Vote. Don't care who you vote for. Even this fella. Noel O'Flynn, good morning. <laughs> Ken O'Flynn, rather. Good morning and welcome in. Good Ken. morning, PJ. Yesterday morning, we got the news. First of all, before I go to that, you were in Blackpool yesterday. I was. I was meeting a friend of mine, Dennis Falvey, for a cup of coffee, um, mm. which we do nearly every day in Blackpool Shopping Centre. And uh, I parked over by Bank of Ireland. And at that stage, the uh, car had just mounted the footpath, had crashed into the mm. into the uh, traffic light and mounted the footpath. You know, I have to say... Considering the damage that was actually done in Blackpool, it's amazing nobody was seriously injured. Mm. Um, I, I I met with the lady that that was. Uh, look, it's shocking. It's yeah. shocking. But I have to say, PJ, in fairness, not only just the shopping centre staff and the security staff there, everybody in Blackpool and Farnry that I met there were all concerned about this lady. People went over to offer support. Uh, do you want a cup of tea? Do you want water? People were by, were bringing over this, that and the other. Um, there was great community well, spirit is, about isn't it. Isn't that, the nature, it is, that the very nature of Blackpool? It is, yeah. It is, it is, you know, and, yeah. and you know, and old neighbours and, and friends, you know. But I, 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 I knew the lad, I know the lad's mother and father very well that, mm. that held this uh, uh, minor in the car and, and chased him. Um, he doesn't want to be na- named. He was totally out of breath and couldn't catch his breath actually after, after the incident. Mm. But um, he's a credit to his mother and father. His, his mother, his, mother, his mum and dad are very good friends of my mum and dad. But he's a credit to his mother and father, right. I have to say. And, 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 our, and as our best wishes go, go, go to, to Carmel. Now, yesterday, and it was probably, I suppose, the worst kept secret in, in, in local politics on, on two fronts. One, that you were going to stand anyway. And secondly, that um, Sandra Murphy was going to be um, brought in for, for Fianna Foyle and deny you a place on the ticket. Um, how do you feel about being denied a place on the Fianna Foyle ticket after giving a quarter of a century of your life to the party? Look, you know, life goes on. And, you know, you could spend your life being bitter about things or worrying about things. I'm very upbeat. I'm looking forward to this election. I'm standing as an independent. It's always been my intention to stand for Doyle Aaron. You're quite correct. Um, I believe that people have been underrepresented in this constituency. Yeah. Uh, I believe that there's been a serious lack of interaction between the Oireachtas members and this constituency. Yeah. Well, why do you think the party to which you have devoted your life didn't see fit to nominate you. Why? 
the party have made their decision. I know, as a, as a member of that party, know that I've made a decision to stand as a candidate. I'm no longer a, I'm uh, no longer a member of that party as a, as an independent. That happens automatically. Um, that's their decision. I wish them the best of luck. Have uh, you any that, thoughts on why they they picked the ticket without you on it? Why they chose not to put you on? Have you any thoughts on it? And uh, no, I'm not worrying about the past. I'm concentrating now on the future. Um, there's no point of me being worried about what happened before or why this happened or what, what's, what, what's mm. this, what has happened. The reality is for me... You didn't have any I notion of picking up the phone to Hall Martin and saying, what the hell are you doing to me here? I, I met with the party on a number of occasions. I put my, my ideas forward, um, my thoughts for the constituency forward, and they went off and they made their decision. Yeah. And I have to accept that. I'm a big boy, and that's okay. Yeah, that's yeah. okay. But I've made my decision now. And the important thing that I want to do is represent people. You know, I go well, back what are to the, the issues case. then that you represent people? What are well, they, look, like, like, if you were to give me for Cork North Central, which is a, it's now, can it's a sprawling constituency. It's a huge it's constituency. A massive run, constituency runs from, now. The, runs from Mallow to Bishopstown. Yeah, yeah it's. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Mallow to Bishopstown. That's mad. In the old days, I can remember, it was just literally the north side of the city and a bit beyond. This colossal doubt. So what are the issues? Well, look, without doubt, housing is one of the biggest issues uh, when, it co- when it comes to meeting people. And, and you know, it's multifaceted mm. because it's not just homelessness. It's not just people that can't get mortgages. It's people that can't get council houses. All of that. And look, PJ, I, you know, I'm not... Where I don't think we have enough time to go into every detail about housing, but let's say for we example, we call the pencil yeah. people if we did. Yeah, but exactly. housing is a massive exactly. issue. But there's many, but many 40, there's sub there's subcategories within 45% housing. Forty-five percent of the tax intake. That's the government takes forty-five percent between tax and VAT from developers. You know, you reduce the you reduce the tax uh, on building a property, and then you will have builders going out and start building again. You know, you, you reduce, you reduce, and then you, the uptake is, is higher. That's the reality of things. You know, it, you have to work out the mechanics of everything. Um, look, the homeless situation, you know, it's absolutely appalling. Mm. It's, it's dire. Uh, and, you know, I meet people now and there's different types of homeless. The people that are inside in hotel rooms, we have to get people out of hotel rooms. People need a key to their own front door. And when I look at when I look at what's happening around Europe and modular homes and the development, how quickly that can be brought up. You know, we're we're sitting as city council at the moment is sitting on six land banks that they yeah. want. Now, they city, council, service, city council, city council will tell you, city hall will tell you. Um, you know, the, the manager, the chief executive, and Doherty will tell you they're building and will build by the end of this year. They'll have what nearly a thousand, two thousand, a thousand built and another thousand ready to start or something, mm-hmm. something along but those that, lines. That's an impressive figure in it, itself. It is, and that all takes time to build. What I'm saying to you is that six land banks that could be service sites very, very quickly. Where are they? Uh, one is out in the Mallow Road. There's, they're, they're owned by Cork City Council, actually, mm. um, and they're in the old part of the city. They've been owned for the last number of years, and we've been paying down, actually, for that, mm. back to the government for the loan that was taken on that. Mm. I think um, Tommy Gould was talking about that about 10 years ago. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, look, I think that needs to be addressed. I think they could be serviced very quickly. I think you'll get modular homes. They cost probably about the same amount of money to, bu- to build, but you can get those out an awful lot quicker. I think we have to just think outside the box. We have to look at what our counterparts in Europe are doing. And when you look at um, what Germany is doing, what Holland is doing, mm. how they're producing far, far quicker, what even parts of the UK are doing. Mm. Uh, and we have been very slow on the uptake about looking at, yes. uh, you know, if you keep on repeating is, and doing is, the is same that the thing biggest, over and over again. Is that the again, biggest one, Ken? Uh, look, housing is a huge part of my day. Health 
of course, is a huge part of my day. Uh, and waiting lists, waiting people lists. waiting for operations for years. Well, you know, you have to, we we have people getting a bus to the north for they get their cataracts. Correct. Goodness sake, like, that's incredible. Correct. That just didn't happen at all. But, but the, the reality there is that you have three thousand private beds in public hospitals. That has to be addressed. It costs about a million, uh, million and a half to put a hospital bed there, uh, to build a hospital bed at the moment. Probably a bit more now in Ireland with the with the hospital in Dublin. But we have 3,000 beds that, should, that are private sitting in public hospitals. Mm. Uh, that's incorrect. That's wrong. The private sector should be looking after that. And it's, be, and it's been proved that the private sector can look after that very well by the private hospitals, by the Bond Secure Hospital and the, yeah. and the Mater Private. Yeah. And leave them look after that. And these are the things that, that will come and up. The, these yeah. are things that have to, you know, there's practicalities here. Primary care units are fantastic. They, we need more of those. There is one planned for Mayfield in 2020, actually. Uh, and th- those, will, those facilities will reduce waiting lists and reduce yeah. the times that you spend inside there. All of the, things, all of the things that you've gone through in the last couple of minutes with relation to housing and with relation to health, you know, they, they've all happened under uh, Fine Gael, supported in confidence and supply by, by Fianna Fáil. You stuck with Fianna Fáil right through. And now, well, now you've left because they wouldn't put you on the ticket, I guess. So you supported Fianna Fáil as they supported Fine Gael. So why should people believe in you now? Well, well I've never been a member of Leinster House, so I've never voted for a Fine Gael government. Um, so let's get that clear. Um, PJ, I'm standing as an independent candidate. People have asked me to stand as a candidate. I've been out canvassing since the local election. Bear in mind, I polled the highest vote in the north side of the city, 1,710 votes on the northeast ward. That's what I polled. People are asking me, Ken, are you standing in the election? During the by-election, people were ringing me and saying, I thought you'd be standing in the election. I thought you'd be standing. People want straightforward representation. People want the type of representation that Bernard Allen brought to this constituency, that Maureen Quill brought to this constituency, that Danny Wallace and Noel O'Flynn brought to this constituency, and Kathleen Lynch as well. They want service. And look, I'm not ashamed to say I'm going to fight for Cork. If I'm elected as an independent, I may have a lot of influence over the government. If you're and finally, my very last question is about the time. We have to watch time as you know now. now. If you are elected as an independent TD and the choice of Taoiseach is Michal Martin or Leo Varadkar, who will have your vote? The person that will have my vote is the person that will deliver the Northern Ring Road, the person that will deliver the Cork to Mallow Road, the person that will deliver for the north side of the city. And my vote, I'm open to talking to everybody. Uh I will do the best deal I can for the people of Cork because that's who I answer to. We'll leave it it at there, Ken. You can appreciate appreciate with the election underway. We're very limited with regards to time. Thanks for coming in, uh, uh, Councillor Ken O'Flynn. I'm obliged at this stage to list off the other candidates in Cork North Central as we know them as of today, the 15th of January. There's the aforementioned Ken O'Flynn, uh, Podigo Sullivan, Sander Murphy and Tony Fitzgerald for Fianna Fáil, Colin Burke and Lorraine O'Neill for Fine Gael, John Maher for Labour, Sinead Halpin of the Social Democrats, Oliver Moore in Green Party, TJ Hogan, Independent, Martin Condon, Independent, Finian Toomey of AN2, Tommy Gould of Sinn Féin and Mick Barry of Solidarity. We'd be sick to death of reading out those lists, but it's just so we have to mention everyone presently 
presently standing as a candidate in Cork North Central. Ken, thank you. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with seven-day delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie there's 1,440 minutes in your day. Is it filled with the music you love? Give us just 10 minutes of your time and it will be. Have your say on the songs we play with the Quartz 96FM music panel. Go to 96FM.ie now and you could win a 100 euro shopping voucher. The survey only takes 10 minutes. Join the Quartz 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Are you... This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 969696 96 96 96. on Cork's 96 FM. Peter, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Peter's been tweeting, does every candidate now get an in-depth studio interview? If they make a bit of breaking news, like Ken O'Flynn made a bit of breaking news by running as an independent, then we'll make decisions on them all as we go through the course of the next few weeks. There are certain rules we have to follow over the next few weeks as we deal with all the candidates uh, in their individual Capacities. John is a member of AIN2. He's not impressed with Ken O'Flynn. He wants a fighter and they're targeting Gary Murphy's seat. He has not represented the constituency one bit. Finnegale don't deserve to hold that seat. John is supporting Finnegan to me. On a, the issues in general, Kate says as long as consultants are allowed to double job in the public hospitals, there won't be enough beds. Jim says Enda Kenny retired recently. Three million in a pension pot. What about all the Apple money? Our government turned that down and they're spending more on lawyers' fees trying not to take it. I want to go to Ellen because Ellen uh, wants us, I think, wants to stress the importance of voting. I put a thing up on my own social media last night. I'll read it for you in a minute. uh, And I want to know what you think of it. Um, But first, let's go to to Ellen. Good morning to you. Are you there? Good morning, Cork. Ah, how are you, Ellen? I'm all the better for talking to you. How are you? <laughs> I'm great altogether. <laughs> Good. Now, you want people to register, and not just to register, to make sure that they vote. Yes. If you do not, if we do not vote, we do not get the people who speak for us. We have to vote. Mm-hmm. Each and every one of us. Old, young, once you're over 18, vote, please. Have your say. It is the only way you can do it, is via the ballot box. Mm. Mm. You're setting up a page, a Facebook page, I think, to do it, aren't you? It's already been set up. It's called Vote. Mm. Just go on there and have a look. The first post was the election date, just to remind people. The second post is the vote.ie to show people how to register, to empower others to have their say. That is what we believe in. Almost... Within minutes of the declaration of the date yesterday by the Taoiseach, the the same old stuff was turning up on social media and text messages and phone calls. I couldn't be bothered. They're all the same. I'm out. Is that part of the problem, Ellen? Indeed it is, PJ. Thank you for saying that. For too long, people have chosen a political career and politics rather than representing their own people, their own localities. 
we need people who actually care about the people, the communities they're coming from. Yeah. Be they homeless, be they the health people that are waiting on trolleys. The system is broken. I won't go into detail because we're sick to death of it. We all know the problem. Mm. Let's fix it. As a nation, we can. Mm. By but voting you st- with your gut. Yeah, if you stay at home... I, I, I'll put up. I'll put up what I put on my own social last night, and we discussed with the two of us because people, people might just uh, have a have a view on it. I put up. Okay, so a uh, general election is now officially underway. Everybody has their own thoughts on what matters, what is a, or is not an issue. How you vote is your business. But one thing is certain: if you don't take part, if you don't engage, if you don't register, and if you don't show up and don't vote, if you say things have to change and then sit in your posterior and don't make your scratch, you're part of the problem. Would you agree with me? Let's put it this way: you're going to get at least one additional share, one thousand percent, and that is why the movement—it's like the grass is growing. The movement is growing one by one. Each vote counts. Mm. It's up to the each individual to go with their gut, look, have the conversation. Oh, I don't know anything about politics. Who does? Talk to the people in your classroom. Talk to the people in your university. Talk to people at the bus stop. If you're in a shop buying a bottle of milk, have a word. Talk mm. to people. Talk to your mom, your dad, your grandparents. Together we can do this. Together we can change it. But We're this is a rallying call, I think, for, from, from you. Are you. Would you be someone who has voted all their life? Yes, I had even gone down in crutches when my back was out. Mm. Because nobody's going to gag me. Mm. I am not a member of any political party because this is apolitical. Who am I to tell someone how to vote? Mm. I support various people. I talk to everybody. Because that's how you get knowledge. That's how you learn. That's how it's by talking to person, person to person. That's how you learn the person. You don't learn from them off posters. You learn by speaking to the individual. Yeah. So, and there are good people in every party. Yeah. So your campaign page is literally called on Facebook. Just a single word: vote. Yes. God, it was good. It was there on its own, wasn't it? <laughs> You'd have thought that it'd be gone years ago. <laughs> vote is what it's called. That's how many members called. do you have at the moment? It was only launched half an hour ago. Oh, only half an hour ago. Okay, well, maybe we can direct people to it and see how, how we do it. Just call vote, and the information will agree. be there. How to register, how to vote, the need to vote. And if this is not representative of any party, not representative of any movement. This is just to get people out on the 8th of February to vote. And please share. I would ask something. I have been asking the question or we've been asking the question why is it there hasn't been a campaign to bring voters back to Ireland as there was recently because these people for various reasons have to flee. I would call on anybody who has a relative living abroad, ask them to come home. If they're coming home for a week's holidays in March see if they can come back for the 8th of February and let them have their say. Mind you if they're not not actually resident here they're not supposed to be able to vote. Yeah. Yeah but you know it's different it's for a referendum. Yeah, yeah. But then again, I guess if you're living and working in the UK and you're still registered to vote here, you still have a vote, don't exactly, you? Exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. So please get everyone to vote. Okay. All right, as many as possible to vote. Thank you very much. Ellen, vote is the Facebook. It's amazing they just got a Facebook page with that single title of vote. Also, uh, there's a big thing about voter registration and we've been on to both councils about it. Uh, This whole draft register, because of the date of the election, the draft register doesn't come into effect 
that would come into effect on the 15th of February. Now, they could have gone into the Dáil and changed that in, in the space of an hour or so, but they didn't. They went straight. He went straight for the country. So an awful lot of people who thought they were registered on the draft register are not now registered. You can, however, still get yourself registered before the 22nd of January. Cork Votes is another initiative. They want to make voter registration easier. So this Saturday, there will be a stand outside the Cork City Library from 11 to 1 with all the information you need, all the forms ready, all the pens available that you need, and there'll be a community guard there to hand to help you with your your application to vote. Just bring some photo ID. So if particularly you put your name on the draft register last year, for example, if you turned 18 and want to vote for the first time, if you moved house and registered under your new address, any other reason you should be on the draft register, you won't have a vote because the draft register doesn't come into a, in, into into force yet. But you still can vote. Uh, the, there's other ways the Cork County... That Cork votes Saturday, 11 to 1, down by the library. You can get yourself registered at this stage. And the R614, the Glenville Road near Tuberley Mire, is very icy. Take care there. 1850-715-996. Changing tack from the election. We will bounce in and out of it repeatedly over the next couple of weeks. Do you think that fast food outlets like chippers or burger bars or anything like that should be banned within a specific distance of a primary school? Now, there's a new map called the Cork Food Map has just been launched. It's an interactive map, and it shows the kind of food businesses that are dotted around the various kinds of the city or various areas of the city, rather. Various food businesses, food outlets, restaurants, pubs, fast food, pizzas, burgers, chips. You name it, it's on this interactive map and has been prepared kind of as a research project. Uh, and uh, Janice Harrington, who's a senior lecturer in the School of Public Health in UCC, chairs the Cork Food Policy Council. And they compiled this map. And I've been talking uh, to Dr. Harrington. Janice, thanks for taking our call. You've studied this map and you say the findings are shocking. Why are they shocking? Well, when you look at uh, one of the areas with the map we looked at was primary schools and where primary schools are located. And we saw that one in three primary schools in Cork City had a fast food outlet within 400 metres walking distance of the primary school. Um, so that's you know something that those children are exposed to every day on their way into school, on their way home to school, mm. from school. So it's it's quite uh, quite dark, really. Like if you take a place like Douglas, yeah, a village like Douglas, where there'd be a number of schools, there would also mm. be a number of fast food outlets. That's pretty much unavoidable, realistically. In some areas, yes. In some areas, no. And I think I suppose what we need to start looking at is. Um, obviously not looking at all of these in isolation, looking at the bigger picture and in terms of our children, you know, what what's the level of exposure our children are getting to a, a food outfit, to marketing, to advertising. So you look in, in the vicinity of schools, you know, what's been advertised to schools and, you know, we're all you know, under time pressure and, you know, children, you know, children notice these things and, you know, it becomes the norm. You know, that's what, we're, that's what we're exposing our children to. So are you looking at, effectively, like the newspaper says, a no-fry zone, as mm. in if I 
have a chain of chippers or burger bars or whatever I have, and mm-hmm. I want to open a new branch, yeah. uh, whether or not I get permission to do so will be determined by my closeness to a school. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't for that nanny you. state gone mad, Janice? I, I wouldn't think so, PJ, really. If you think of this, this, these are our children, this is the next generation. And what we want to do is safeguard their health for the future. This is just one one uh, measure that could be successful in reducing the exposure to our children. Um, so, you know, we the, the businesses that are there at the moment, you know, there's not much we can do about those. But in terms of future businesses opening up, you know, we need to look at some of our planning laws, planning regulations, and, you know, what are we allowing open up in the vicinity of our schools and what are we allowing our children to be exposed to? So I don't think it's nanny state. It's using policy to make our neighbourhoods, our city, our uh, environment healthier for our children. Is it not the job of parents to sit their children down and teach them how to eat properly, teach them to have respect for diet and nutrition and teach them that just because there is a burger joint on your way to school doesn't mean you're going to get to eat burgers every day. Isn't that something they should learn at home, not through the law? I think we need to stop blaming individuals and we need to stop blaming parents. Um, no one's bla- Janice, no one's blaming parents. I'm suggesting that this is the job of a parent. It's not the only job of a parent. Our parent, you know, we raise our children, but when we're constantly bombarded by these advertising ad- advertisements, and I suppose that what we have is a toxic food environment. And um, yes, we need, we all need to make, we all have choices to make within the, within our environments. And what what these uh, interventions and these policies do is to help parents help each one of us, to try and make the healthier choices, the easier choices. So, you know, when you, you know, the parent or the tester power from children can be, you know, quite quite demanding and quite strong. So There is a little word called no, though. There is a little word called no, but, you know, we're all um, in, a, in a, a time when we're time time pressures and you know we're running from here there and everywhere to you know ferry our children to places and you know sometimes you know we can get worn down but if we're not constantly exposing our children to these types of environments and making them the norm Mm. you know yes these are treats that you know we all you know because i'm thinking you see dennis and I appreciate what you say about, you know, it's not the best food for, for a young person, not the best food for any of us. It's, it's a treat. It's not dinner. But on the same walk home or cycle, the yeah. child will pass shops almost certainly. And those shops have sweets in them. And those yeah. shops have cigarettes in them. And some of yeah. those shops have wine in them. So yeah. we just start with the burgers. You're going to move on to the sweets? No, I mean, we shops are there and we have those there. And we do all have to have a little bit of individual control. But when you think of, there's other things in shops as well, but um, when you think of, you know, the, the vicinity of a takeaway, so why should a takeaway open 
want to open their doors within 400 metres of a primary school, for example. So that's that's what we're calling for in this and um, one of the outputs from this research. And you know, the only reason is for you know to sell food. In you know, why does it have to be within? So, so well, the they'll sell it to the children. parents. The parents will, sell it will to the children. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, just um, sounds a bit like. It just sounds a bit like. Well, you can't make decisions for yourself, so we're going to make them for you through the planning laws. No, it's certainly. I mean, we all, as I said earlier on, we do have, you know, our own individual choices. But this is making, you know, creating our environment supportive, creating supportive environments and helping us um, to make the healthier choices, the easier choices. Is there a possibility that what you seek will ever become law? I would hope so. I mean, I wouldn't be doing this research um, with this and some of my other research if I didn't think it, it was going to be heard you know, uh, by the powers that be. These things take a while to come, you know, come into practice and, you know, nothing happens overnight and there isn't going to be any one quick fix solution to our current, uh, you know, poor health status as a population as a whole. But, and I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't think it was going to always fall on deaf ears. How do you think parents will respond? there's, There's going to be some people who will support it, some people who will not support it. But I think me, me myself as a parent, uh, what I would hope um, for our policymakers, be it within the city or at national level, that you know that the choices and the policies they make are for the better of our health, of my health, of my my children's health, and you know as a society as a whole. So I mean things that make you know anything that can make. It's easier for us to make healthier choices, I think, can only be a positive. Leave it there with that. Thank you very much, Janice. Thanks very much, PJ. Dr Janice Harrington spoke to her uh, earlier. She's the senior lecturer in public health at UCC, and she describes this new interactive food map as horrifying. And she wants, effectively, a planning ban so that anybody wanting to open a pizza parlor or a chipper or a burger joint or any kind of fast food, and I guess you'd probably straight away, you'd probably run into an argument about what is the definition of fast food. Like, would you be able, would would she put a ban on pizza and not a ban on, for argument's sake, ramen or one of those things? But should there be a ban on fast food joints within a certain distance of a primary school. She reckons within 500 yards of a primary school there should be no fast food joints of any description. Uh, We're running a Twitter poll on it. We're also going to run a text poll. Do you think that the planning laws should ban fast food outlets from the vicinity of schools, from say 500 yards from schools? Would you support that kind of a ban around our schools? Yes or no to 083 396 96 96. Yes or no to 0833-396-9696 by text to WhatsApp. We've also opened that poll on Twitter at OpinionLine96. We'll run it for a little while and we'll collate all the results uh, a little bit later. Seamus, you don't agree with the idea at all. Good morning. Nothing. No way, Samantha. That type of attitude totally sickens me. Seamus, are you, are you on the move, mate? No, I'm not, but I'm above by Kilmallock, which means I'm fairly well away from me. In okay. the middle of the countryside. Okay, get as close to that phone as you can, would you please? I will, of course, yeah. Yeah. Get um, any better? Yes, yeah, that's better. So you don't support yeah. this at all? No, I don't. Um, 
I don't like it. It's not my responsibility. It's not your responsibility. It's not the state's responsibility to mind your kids. You had them, you mind them. If you decide you want to feed them burgers and chips, you that's your choice. If you decide not to, that's your choice. But it's not right for you to be forcing your choice down my throat or anywhere else's throat. You know, and that's that's what's happening. Like we do have a problem with childhood obesity. That's just a fact. Yeah, we do. It's a fact. Educate the parents. But as a matter of turning it around and turning it into kind of a nasty type state, where because some bunch decides, I don't like the idea of my kids being able to see fish and chips on a Friday, and they're coming and going from school. But what the experts argue, they say, well, you know, unhealthy choices are being made by people every day of the week. And by putting a pizza parlor or a fish and chip shop on the way home from school where mother and child has to pass it, you're enabling unhealthy choices. If you educate them to make a lunch for their kids before they send them to school, instead of giving them a fiver, they won't be going in and out of these places. And if they're not going in and out of these places, these places won't be there for long because they won't be making money. Okay, so you certainly don't uh, support that kind of ban. It's not the best line in the world. Seamus up in North Cork. Thanks very much. 1850-715-996. We're running that uh, text poll. Do you think, would you support what Dr. Harrington says? That we would help to deal with our obesity crisis in children. We would help to deal with it if we didn't have chippers, pizza joints, fast food outlets, anywhere near primary schools, not necessarily secondary schools. Frank is arguing that the number of primary schools in Cork, if you tried to impose that, you wouldn't have a chipper left, and you're not wrong. But she's only talking about new developments. So take Douglas, for example, as I mentioned in the interview. Douglas has a load of different outlets, some of them very close to schools. You can't affect what's already there. But if I want to open my chipper, uh, I can't open it within 500 yards of the nearest primary school. She wants to put that into the planning law. Do you support that? Yes or no? 083 396 96 96. And it's also on the text. Text WhatsApp and Twitter. Twitter at opinion line 96. Do you support a ban on fast food outlets anywhere near primary schools? Yes or no? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cosy nights in solidfueldepot.ie. Turn up the beat and drop that noise. Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix. Online. Turn it up right now. Our new stream playing fresh hits all the time. Non-stop music now streaming. Hi, I'm Demi. Listen on our app or click 96FM. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Oh, the gloves are off now. Those various news stories on election 2020. Brendan Howland chucking a grenade into Sinn Féin and Michal Martin starting his race and them all at him and they're all at one another's throats and they will be for the next couple of weeks. And we need to remember that this is what's going on. Yeah, morning. It's all electioneering. Morning. 
Warning! It's all electioneering, so have no notice of it whatsoever because at the end of the day, they will tell you what they want you to hear for the next couple of weeks and then when they all go back into the Leinster House with their new seats under their arses, they'll do whatever kind of deal suits themselves. Yes, I am cynical. But they've been doing it for years. As regards registration, we've had a detailed response from Cork County Council on how you make sure you're on the register. And I'll give you that at some stage this hour. Anybody can check whether they're there on the website checktheregister.ie. If you put in www.checktheregister.ie, you can check if you're registered to vote. And if you're not, there are still ways and means to get yourself on that register over the next couple of weeks. 1850-715-996. Text 083-396-9696. The email opinion at 96fm.ie. Still running our text poll on whether, and our Twitter poll, on whether you think it would be okay to change the planning laws to ban fast food outlets, chippers, etc., near schools. Yes, if you agree with it. No, if you don't. To text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96 or go to our Twitter page at OpinionLine96 and you can vote there. Uh, eat everything in moderation. There's too much emphasis on the young today. Obesity and anorexia are all over the place in equal measures. No to any kind of a ban. It's madness, says this. We run a chipper. We live on the premises. We've three children. One fellow's a vegetarian. The other's 14 has made the choice that he won't eat junk food very often. They've been raised in the chipper, and they're not obese, and they're not unhealthy. They're exposed every day, and they, ha- and they barely eat the stuff. People are still able to make a choice, but it's about creating healthy, supportive environments, PJ, making the healthy choice the easy one. Well, no. If you are being pushed down a particular direction, that's not a choice. 1850-715-996. Mick Hannigan, what happened to you yesterday? Good morning to you. How are you, PJ? Well, I was uh, heading down Cathedral Road. Um, I did dental appointments, so um, I was a bit late. So um, heading up Cathedral Road. Um, on your you bike? Know, on my bike, being as, as attentive as I, I generally am. And uh, there was a car parked on the left, and there was no lights on and no indication that, for me, it was just a parked car. And, of course, as soon as I got close to the car, the fellow opened the door and bang. Uh, ended up on my back in the middle of the road, having uh, not come off the bike. And um, fortunately, I mean, it could have been worse. could have been a lot worse. I could have opened the top of the, the door. Um was I land on my back in the upholstered part of my body. Um, so I'm a bit sore there, but um, I live to tell the tale, you know? Yeah. And it was just that the guy, you don't want to hang the driver, you said to us no, off here. No, yeah. no. He just literally swung out into the lane, maybe missed you, could have a blind spot or something. No, he opened the door. He opened the door. He, he was sitting in his, his car. Oh, God. And um, then to get out, he just opened the door. So... Since then, um, that you know, I, I I tweeted something about it, um, and I got an, a huge response from uh, there's all sorts of um, cycling groups and cycling lobby groups and people who are far more informed on these things than I am. So I'm a little bit more educated at this stage, 24 hours later, um, and I now understand that I was the victim of what's called Doring. Called what, Nick? Doring, D W O R I N G. Doring. Okay. When I was unaware of it until yesterday, when people, when drivers opened their door without being attentive enough 
and causing a cyclist uh, an accident. And so it happens a lot, and people are concerned about it. Cycling lobbyists are concerned about it. And what they're lobbying for is something, again, I hadn't heard of until yesterday, uh, the Dutch Reach. Have you ever heard of the Dutch Reach, PJ? No, I haven't ever heard of the Dutch Reach. Well, the Dutch Reach, apparently, is that car drivers open their doors with their left hand. Right. Not the, not the hand next to the door, but they reach across their bodies to open the door with the, the left hand. And that has the effect that you look backwards. To, are there any okay, so you're, you're sitting in the driver's seat and the instinctive thing is grab the thing and push out with yep. your right hand. But if you yep. move, use your left hand to open, should, no, who's going to think of that? Well, people will think of it if they're thought about it. So I'm going to become a bit of a Dutch reach bore from now on mm-hmm. uh, with my uh, car driving friends. But it's people, apparently the, the Irish um, cycle lobby have been campaigning to have this included in the rules of the road. Oh. And, if, and the, the Road Safety Authority has not taken it on. It's commonplace in the Netherlands, apparently. And That's um, the name. Driving instructors um, could, could if it was included in the rules of the road, driving instructors could get people into the habit. And like many things in life, it's awareness and habit. So if drivers, through no fault of their own, are being inattentive, then they, they could be made a little bit more attentive. So, um, I mean, the, the, the thing is, there's an increasing number of uh, bikes on the road now, um, yeah. certainly in, in cities. And I think drivers need to be informed more about the realities of cycling and the dangers to, to cyclists. This, do, this does reach is, is a good idea, Mick, and I guess if you did it enough, it would become a bit like when, and I grew up in a world, as did you, where they made seat belts, they went from yeah. being uh, voluntary to being mandatory. Eventually yeah. it becomes muscle memory. It's, exactly. it's part of sitting into the car. Your hand automatically reaches for a seatbelt. So you're saying that if we all did this Dutch reach thing, automatically it would eventually become yes. muscle memory to reach across with your, with your left hand. thing about it is, though, surely a good attentive glance into your wing mirrors should be enough. Absolutely. Um, my, my point, however, is that... If we're trying to encourage cycling, and we should be, because there's all sorts of benefits um, to cycling in a city, um, not least that it's a very pleasurable thing to do. I've been a cyclist all my life. Mm. Um, if we're to encourage um, cyclists, then we should try and create a culture of where where people are who are on bikes are not fearful of what might happen to them on, on the road. So I think there's a, a deal of education being made. Um, looking in the rearview mirror, of course, um, the Dutch Reach, as I've, I've suggested, and just awareness of cyclists. Okay. Because the more I read about this now, the more I'm informing myself of necessity, um, the more I, you know, cyclists seem... I, I get the sense that, that the cycle lobby sees that cyclists are a little bit under siege um, with cars passing too close to them when overtaking, um, the cycle infrastructure in the city being less less than desirable, and a general awareness that 
Mm. They're cyclists, cyclists on the road, and be aware of them. Well, I just looked. I did did something here now, just purely as, as an experiment. Make I have a newspaper on my right hand side, and I just reached out my right hand to grab the newspaper, and that's all that has to move. But if I turn across my body to get the newspaper with my left hand, I instinctively am looking at the wall of the studio whether I want to or not, and that's more or less what the Dutch reach would be. Yeah, it's effective, isn't it? It, it, it is does, very it does effective. Work. It's yeah. very effective. It's very effective. What we might do is we might throw that video up on Twitter so people can look at it. We found a video of what you mean and what the Dutch Reach actually is. But you're okay apart from a sore bum, yeah? I, I am. I am. I'm, I'm okay. And the, the chap... I, I, did he get out? Oh, he did. He was shocked. I mean, he, you know, I, here was I lying on, on the flat of my back in the middle of the, the road. And he had the, the presence of mind to say, look, I'll put, I'll put your bike into my house. So it's still in this hallway. I must collect it later on. And he drove me down to the dentist because right. I, I, there's a strange sort of psychological thing that you say, oh, no, I'm grand, I'm grand. When I wasn't grand, I was in a state of shock. Yeah. So he did the right thing by saying, no, I'll take the bike, I'll drive you down. And uh, so I'm grateful to him for that. And we had a good chat. <laughs> and, you know, he's mortified by the thing. Um, Had so... any kids in the car? <laughs> no, he, no, he didn't. Because I'm thinking he, they'd have thought he was after killing Santa. <laughs> no, no, PJ. <laughs> Mick, thanks very much. Good to talk to you. That's, Thank you, PJ. That's Mick Hannigan. Mind yourself there. 1850-715-996. What I mean by that is Mick Hannigan, of course, Indie Cork and all that film festival background to Mick. Mick is the possessor, and he's been working on this for a while. He's the proud possessor of this incredible big white bush of a beard. Santa Hannigan. That's what I've been calling them. Out of earshot for a while. 1850-715-996. Back to chippers and whether they should be allowed open up near schools and whether the planning laws should be adjusted to prevent fast food from being sold anywhere near a school. Take Anne-Marie's call next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Smokers coal, turf, gas and kiln-dried wood. Open late, seven days. Solidfueldepot.ie Oldies and Irish on Cork's 96FM is the big Sunday show on your radio. Turn it up and take it easy with the best music mix for your Sunday morning. Welcome along to the program. Lovely to be with you on a Sunday morning. Oldies and Irish with Derry O'Callaghan. Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. With Rock Bingo, Dean Rock Business Park Toker. Spacious restaurant, high-tech beauty rooms and Ireland's largest bingo facility. Rockbingo.ie. Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. We're still letting this poll run. Uh, we talked uh, before the news at, uh, at 10 o'clock to Dr. Janice Harrington, who's a senior lecturer in public health at UCC in relation to a new interactive map that has been drawn up of what kind of food outlets are in what sort of places around the city. And she was shocked and horrified to discover so many fast food outlets in the vicinity of schools. And she wants the planning law changed so that if you want to open a fast food outlet, be it chipper, pizzeria, burgers, whatever, that you won't be able to do it within 500 yards 
of a primary school. And we're asking the question on the show, is this a good idea in light of the fact that we have an obesity crisis in the country? And we have. Let's face it. We have an obesity problem among our children. Some of it is from sitting on their arse playing the plane station and not being out running after a ball. But some of it is for from eating all the wrong stuff. And should we change our planning laws to enable children, parents or I mean, force parents to make choices, more healthy choices. Anne-Marie, good morning. Hi, how are you doing? Good. You have a chipper. We do. We have a chipper. Um, we live on the premises of the chipper. Right. And we have three kids. They're um, 7, 12 and 14 now. Okay. And um, we've had the chipper, we've run it as a chipper for 10 years. Right. So the kids have been raised in the chipper. Right. And... Um, like our eldest son, he doesn't eat that much junk food. Our 12-year-old is a self-proclaimed vegetarian. Right. He uh, he won't eat sugar, he won't eat fat. And, well, the 7-year-old's a bit funny with the sugar, like, but they get to a certain stage where they just sort of, you know, they, they want the junk food. Yeah. And then they get sick of it. Yeah. You know, and then they're, they're very healthy kids. They're not obese. There's no bother at all. Is it maybe because of the environment in which they live and that they're so used to it around, it's not a novelty anymore? It, it could be. It could possibly be that. Um, that. But, you know, the point is that it's up to the parent and the child. And you need choice. It's freedom of choice. You know, it's we're. I mean, the school is right around the corner from us, like, and um, there's, you know, we don't, well, we're very seasonal, so we're open from April to October. Right. And then, I mean, we'd like, we don't have time to have a home-cooked meal in the summer. We're too busy. Yeah. And, and would you um, be inundated with school kids? No. No, we wouldn't, like. Mm. You know, they, they go home and they have their, their proper dinner, and it's a treat. Like, for kids around here... Uh, local kids will come in during the summer and it'll be a treat. Yeah. It won't be a regular thing that they're constantly eating junk food. So mm. but I think you, you can take choice away because, like, where do you stop? Like like you said, every garage that you go to, every shop that you go to has a hot food counter. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can buy wedges anywhere. Yeah. So, you know, they're exposed to it already. Yeah. Um, I don't think that... You know, putting it into the planning, and that's going to make any difference. Like, I well, think it would it's up exactly to the be fair, either, because you, for example, could find yourself in trouble if you wanted to open a, an outlet near a school. But the garage can put a hot food counter in and sell wedges and sausage rolls and bits of pizza all day long because yeah. they're not classed as a chipper or fast food outlet. There'll be no restriction on them, or maybe, maybe Dr. Harrington would like to put restrictions on them too. Yeah, well, where do you stop? <laughs> Where does it end? You know, where do you draw the line? Like, because, like, we do ice cream as well. So what, are you going to say, okay, sugar's bad for kids, let's put a ban on ice cream parlours. Mm. You know, let's put a ban on, what are we going to, are we going to ban everything? Yeah. You know, I mean, at the moment, it's like, if we, but and if also it's the option, like, if we have vegans coming in or celiacs coming in, and we have a lot of vegans coming in, and um, I, I, I bought a box, I can't say, where from but I bought this box of vegan burgers yeah. to try it out and it was the most disgusting thing I ever tasted <laughs> uh, it was I swear to god it was absolutely horrific and I looked at the ingredients and you'd swear there was plastic in it there was palm oil in it there was you name it you know what I mean so just because you think it's healthy doesn't actually necessarily mean it is 
like uh, vegan cheese, for example. I've spoken to to vegans, and they say that's the most disgusting thing they've ever had <laughs> because half of the stuff is synthetic. Yeah. So. That's a whole new or a whole different discussion which we've but, had with yeah. vegans many, many times. But I get, I get where you're coming from. But it's yeah. also, I think it's it's also where your stuff is coming from. Here's a question though that comes in: like, if if a child was coming in to you every day and you could see that they were eating too much and getting ridiculously overweight, would you feel that you were part of the problem? I, I kind of would because I'm a parent. Yeah. So like, like a I good publican won't let poor Paddy get blind drunk every day, or shouldn't let poor or, old Paddy or sell, get blind drunk or every sell day. alcohol to underage children. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I would because I'm a parent, and what I feed our customers is what I feed. You know what I mean? It's like I wouldn't give it to them. Uh, I wouldn't give them like something that's bad quality. But if some child did come in. And like, say, if I knew the parent, which, uh, or normally the parents come in with the child, you know, mm. um, it's a touchy subject there, it is, because isn't it? you don't want to invade someone else's. It's up to the parent. Yeah, like, it's, their, it's you between. You see, it's between. That's the point. It's between them and their parent. It is up to them and their parents. Yeah. If the parents want to bring them in and feed them the stuff, you're happy to sell it to them. It's good stuff that you have. If the, their 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 diet and nutrition is between themselves, their parent and their doctor hopefully not but yeah. yeah but i mean most people that have come in even tourists over the summer it's a treat it's not something that they do regularly yeah. it's sort of like let's just it's a sunday or something let's go have a pizza or something or a bag of chips or something like that yeah. there's nothing you know? and there's nothing like a bag of chips after a good walk on a sunday there's nothing like a bag of chips <laughs> <laughs> listen Anne-Marie, good talk do you mind if i ask i can't try to place your accent is there a, is there I'm a, South African. i was thinking that i was thinking yeah. that but you're, you're yeah yeah that's that's nice one all right listen cheers Anne marie thanks for that 1850 996. Why the hell do we have to have rules upon rules upon rules upon rules? Why can't we just ask parents to make proper choices? Perhaps teach them to make proper choices. And as Anne-Marie made the point, like, where does it stop? During the summer, I mentioned this on the air, I thought it was the most barmy thing I've ever seen. In McCroom, as you're driving through McCroom on the way to Cork, as you go over the bridge in McCroom, on the wall there, there used to be, there's still a, mu- a mural, but that mural used to have a pint in it, a pint of stout, Murphy's, I think, but I'm not sure, I think it was Murphy's. During the summertime, because the law on advertising of drink products changed, they had to go and black out that pint of stout because it was considered to be an advertisement for alcohol and it was too close to a school. That's how Barmy Army we've gotten. 1850-715-996. They're telling us already, and look, we don't need anyone to tell us, we know housing and health are two of the biggest issues in the election. I want to return to that BlackRock housing plan that we had on the show yesterday. There's a plan for social housing on Scahard Road. And on Monday evening, all of Fianna Fáil's eight city councillors voted against it. Four of the Finnegators voted for it, two were against it, uh, Des Cahill and Deirdre Ford. It passed by 17 votes to 11. 
Shane O'Callaghan is a Cork City uh, councillor. You voted for it, I believe, Shane, a member of the Fine Gael Party. Do you think that, and look, housing is going to be a huge part of this election campaign. You believe Fianna Fáil are being hypocritical on housing. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Yes, I think that Fianna Fáil are being totally hypocritical on housing because you'll probably remember in in, in your interview with Michal Martin there before Christmas, Michal Martin did loads of pontificating about the housing crisis and the problem of homelessness in this city. And he basically accused Fianna Gael of being anti-social housing. He said that Fianna Gael didn't get social housing, that we didn't understand it. And he even said, I think you remember, that Fianna Gael didn't um, understand well, social housing because of class. Well, Shane, class Shane, Des, Des, Cahill, Des, 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 Des Cahill, who has no business up in uh, on the north side, uh, tramped up to a public meeting uh, to oppose uh, a development of social housing in the middle of Montanati. Sorry, just, just about that, right? I've actually spoken to a number of residents. I wasn't at that meeting, by the way, right? And I've spoken to a number of residents who were at the meeting. And they said that Des did not say that. That he said that he would be voting against us and he would try to, to persuade the other Fine Gael councillors to do the same. Yeah. It, there's no whip on when it comes to issues of whether or not to vote. There's no party whip on whether to vote. But he did go up there and say how opposed he was to it and how he'd try and get well, others I'm just, to I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just after, like, I've heard from residents that he didn't say that, right? And anyway, what does it even matter what they said? No vote has taken place on that, okay? The Opinion Line on Courts 96 FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kiln dried wood and gas. Solidfueldepot.ie Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the Hi, it's Michael here with your update on Cork's live scene. The Chemical Brothers are set to bring their block rock and beats to Irish Independent Park next June 30th as they join the likes of David Gray, The Script, Dermot Kennedy and Lewis Capaldi at the Monster Rugby Venue. Tickets for all shows are on sale now. Access all areas. Bell X1 returned to Cork to play three shows live at St. Luke's next May. The 2020 shows will debut new material along with a lot of the favourites spanning over the last 20 years. Bell X1 Live is always a magical experience and the band are constantly evolving and changing things up for themselves and their fans. Access all areas. If you have a gig show or exhibition coming up in Cork in the next few weeks, drop us a line here at Access All Areas. You can mail us on AAA at 96fm.ie and we'll tell Cork all about it. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. I promised I'd do this. Uh, the county council, now the city council haven't been back to us formally yet as to what they're going to do with regard to people who thought they were on the draft register but are not on the draft reg- on the register because of the fact that the register won't come into effect until after polling day. We did ask both councils, both franchise offices for 
a response yesterday. And I'm just going to read this one to you as we got it from the County Council. Cork County Council will accept the old RFA2 form. That's for people who wish to be added to the register for the first time. This form has to be completed, signed and stamped in your local Garda station and then they'll take it by post, in person or you can scan and email it to franchise at corkcoco.ie. If you're already on the register but need to change your address, you need an RFA3 form and again that will be accepted at the County Hall. Further information and all the forms you need can be downloaded from checktheregister.ie. There hasn't been a notification yet as to the closing date for receipt of the forms, but we understand it to be at this stage the 22nd of January. That's from Cork County Council. Right, to hospitals and health. And Rose, good morning to you. Good morning. Your daughter was in the A&E. Yes, yes. What happened? Well, my daughter has um, an, a chronic uh, illness and um, it's it's a bit nobody knows exactly what it is mm. it's something rare but she gets these flare-ups where she's in extreme pain every joint in her body hurts she gets flushes in her face she has her chest hurts she can't breathe properly so it's it's really serious you know and i went to my gp in the morning and because she was coughing so bad the gp said look you need to go to the hospital and uh, I was already a bit worried about it. So, but anyway, we went and um, yeah, it took us eleven hours to see someone. And we were sitting on a little eleven chair. Some, yeah, it, it's just horrible, you know. And after eight hours, my daughter and just a quick brother, was was that yeah okay. So you you went to your GP and, and you got yeah. the letter referring you. And Absolutely, you, you went out to yeah. the emergency department. I presume in yeah. CUH. Yeah, and you presented. No, it was in the mercy. Because it was in the mercy. Okay, CUH would be even worse, I think. <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. presented at the counter your letter, yeah. and they told yeah. you to go and wait. Now, yeah. are you saying it was eleven hours before anybody came near you? No, so we saw the, the triage nurse, I think after two hours or so, or so right. and they did a, a blood test, and then she said, oh, you'll have to wait another one or two hours. <laughs> and yeah, the turn in the end, it was after 11 hours we saw the doctor. Good yeah. Lord. Yeah, yeah. But there were people there, I mean, there was an old man there sitting there, um, I think he was Syrian, and the poor man can't express himself, but I could see he was suffering. There was another man who was there with kidney stones, but the scan was closed, so he had to go home. Can you imagine the pain that oh, man was in? The scanner yeah. was, what time was this now? That was, um, I think it closed at half past five, so it was after that, but he had been there. He was there when I arrived, and I could see he was in extreme pain. What time did you get there? I, I got there at midday. So a guy with suspected kidney stones who was yeah. there when you got in, yeah. waiting on a scan, yeah. had to go home because they closed the scan, the m- scan, the scan was at half closed. five, and yeah. he'd been sitting there all day long. Yeah. Walking around, he couldn't even sit, you know, he was in so much pain. Oh I mean, and, and people were standing up, so all the chairs were taken out. I, I don't blame the personnel at all. It's the system, clearly. Yeah. But it is, you know, it, it's, I don't know, it's like Victorian times or something. It's just scary to see that happening, you know? Yeah. You're from Belgium originally. We, yes. we've, you've been on with yeah. me before. Like, and I don't know how long it is since you lived in Belgium, but, 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 but what's the public health system like there? Well, I'll tell you a little story of when I was in Ireland already of my, my son, 
and he went to the doctor and they they heard they thought they heard a rumor in his heart. So they said he can't play sports anymore. He needs to go see a cardiologist, but the the, the pediatric cardiologist is in Dublin. And you're going to have to go there, then wait for a scan, then go back to get the results of the scan, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, my God. So I called my sister and um, I said, could you organize something? And three days later, I had an appointment in Belgium in the university hospital. I took a plane. that It was Virgin in those days still from Shannon to Brussels. I went, I walked into the hospital, walked into the doctors. We didn't even have to wait. <laughs> and we had uh, the, we saw the doctor the doctor ordered the scan the scan was done next door we went back into the doctors and we got the results which were nothing you know he he was fine and then we and went that, the pub, was that the public system yeah so i i used the, in those days i used the e111 yes to uh, i didn't have to pay anything so because i i said i was on holiday with my sister okay. and uh, e111 and it didn't cost it cost me 15 euro my goodness yeah, There's and here, here that would have taken two years because, you know, the back and forth to doctors and then the scan and, and, and he wasn't allowed to do any sports. So it would have taken, and I was worried. So yeah. now that was Because they thought he had a heart away. murmur and, and, and in, in fact there was nothing yeah. wrong. Good God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's a, a matter of organizing. But I, I was talking to a woman there yesterday. I said, you know, you really need to take the, you need to take the system down and start it from scratch because... It's mm. now at a point where, I mean, my daughter is still suffering. She's at home. Yeah, how is she today, Ros? She's still in, a, in as much pain. You know, she's now on steroids. So um, I need to see a rheumatologist with her. That's going to take at least two years, you know, on a public service. Uh, I think the, the waiting time now is about four. <laughs> four years? I've, I've seen that somewhere. I don't know if that's absolutely true, but it's it's a long time anyway. So I am now going to look again to take her to Belgium or, or maybe in the UK to see some someone faster because she's really suffering and and we need to get to the yeah to the bottom of this because it, it seems yeah. How old is she? She's nineteen. This has been going on for, uh, since she was thirteen. So I took her to Belgium actually to get diagnosed uh, when she was thirteen. Yeah. And they diagnosed her with autoinflammatory disease. Yeah. Then they, they called me and they said, look, she, she should come back for three days. We will do all the tests so then we know where she is, how, if anything else has been affected, and we will give her the right treatment. Yeah. And I needed a letter here for the insurance. So I went to um, the specialist here, the doctor here in, in uh, the Mercy, and she didn't want to sign that letter. So we couldn't go. She said, no, we can do these tests here. Well, these tests that has taken our five years, we still haven't done them all. Yeah, yeah, and that would have taken three days in Belgium. See, I think this is what happens, I think, Rose, and that's why I asked you about the the public Mm. system. I think we've almost begun to, and wrongly, but we've begun to almost normalise this kind of chaos in this country. Yeah, and and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. And and if you look at that fantastic thing, your son was seen, that the scan was next door, he had the result the next day, and he got the all clear in the space of 48 hours. He could be waiting for months or years here. Your daughter could be waiting for months or years here. Got it done in a matter of a couple of days. The the, the British media, if you read the British media, Mm. you know, they're always complaining about the NHS, about how you're waiting for four or five hours. You tell them, you waited 11 hours yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, and she fainted nearly. We, I mean, we just managed to get her on a stretcher on time because she was in pain. She could not breathe very well, and she's sitting there on a chair. You can imagine. I mean, that is just not. It's just not right. 
en, en if this was Belgium now, even if I had taken her to emergency, they would have admitted her and she would have seen a rheumatologist there and they would have gone through the bottom of all this within a few days. That's what would happen, you know. But because of the, the hospitals here are so overcrowded, they can't do it. I think that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. That's a yeah. real strong contrast. Rose, thank you very much. I hope she'll be okay soon. I hope you get to... That, that's crazy. That if, if, if it is... Thank you, Rose. If it is four years to see a rheumatologist, that's just criminal. It's criminal. 1850-715-996. This, these are the issues. These are the issues. There's the comparison. And not to mention that poor man who was in there when Rose got there with her daughter... Suspected kidney stones. He's in agony. The only way you can tell whether it actually is a kidney stone is with a scan. He sat there from midday until half five and had to go home because the scanner closed, the scanner room. Are we... I won't say are we living in a third world country because that wouldn't happen in a third world country. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with seven-day delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie There's 1,440 minutes in your day. Is it filled with the music you love? Give us just 10 minutes of your time and it will be. Have your say on the songs we play with the Quartz 96FM music panel. Go to 96FM.ie now and you could win a 100 euro shopping voucher. The survey only takes 10 minutes. Join the Quartz 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96FM. 1850 text 083 the email opinion at 96mm.ie I think we should wrap up and collate those numbers guys from our text poll to see how it went with regard to whether or not you think the planning law should be changed so that you can't open a fast food outlet within 500 metres of a school um, there wasn't a whole pile of support there for it, to be honest, among our voters. We, we'll, uh, we'll collate them and, and give them to you very shortly. <clears throat> 1850-715-996. Now, before Christmas, and indeed many times on this programme over the course of the past few years, we have talked about organ donation. It's come up in various guises uh, throughout the course of the last few years. Only just last week, for example, I had a mum in studio telling me about her little daughter the uh, first year's anniversary since a live uh, liver donation, liver transplant we've talked about transplants many many times, we got a text in from Brendan who declined our call to come on the air but he wanted to be a kidney donor, partly because of items that he'd been hearing here on an ongoing basis on the opinion line over the Christmas, or before Christmas, he went to get in touch with the Irish Kidney Association. They're the people who deal with donor cards in this country. He tried before Christmas, and he tried after Christmas. It was harder than he thought to get onto them, and to get onto the right person. Anyway, he eventually did get onto the right person, and eight days later, his card arrived in the post. He thought that all he'd have to do would be sign the card... And at that stage, he'd be a donor, put the card in his wallet, Bob's your uncle, job done. However, 
he was also sent documents in the post to get the permission of his next of kin. He then rang the Irish Kidney Association to ask, is this necessary? Because he's a grown man, he's over 18. And they insisted that it was. Brendan's not going to go through with it now. And he said, that's far too much hassle and far too much work and why should it be necessary to get the permission of his next of kin for an adult, which is a very good question. So let's put it to the Chief Executive of the Irish Kidney Association, who's Mark Murphy, and joins me now. Mark, good morning to you. Good morning. Why, um, would, why would a grown man have to get next of kin's permission? It's not permission. It is um, creating the conversation between that gentleman and his family, because his family currently are the people who'll make the decision about organ donation about him, not himself. Because he'll be on life support, unable to communicate, and so the next of kin have to consent. That is the current situation. But if he's carrying, and this is, I think this confuses people, I guess, if he's carrying a donor, a donor card uh, that he has signed up for, and if it's in his wallet, then surely as an adult he has consented to the donation of his organs and it's nobody else's business but his. That's a fair point, um, but that is not the current situation in Irish law. In Irish law, um, they need current consent, not consent that was signed five or ten years ago. Or So they need instant consent and the way to get that is from the next of kin. So the the piece that we inserted on the donor card so that you get your next of kin to sign the donor card also is to create that conversation between the willing donor and the next of kin so that the next of kin know the willing donor's wishes. The donor card has no legal status whatsoever. It is a tool to create the conversation between the family and to remind the family that that was the wish of the potential donor. See, the thing is, you could have a situation whereby, let's take a married couple, for argument's sake, and mm-hmm. he wants to be an organ donor, and she has a problem with organ donation. That happens. They disagree on the subject. Correct. Could he? And, and she can presently, under Irish law, block him from being a donor. Yeah, and in same the UK law as well, and um, these things happen. And the next of kin are the ones who actually ultimately give consent. But it's rare if the willingness of the donor is known that someone goes against their wishes. That is rare. It is possible, but it, it is rare. And it's much more likely that if the, the knowledge is there of the next of kin or for the next of kin if there was a registry for example he put his name on a registry I would prefer my organs to be donated if I die in those circumstances that would permit organ donation I'm just wondering that registry, it, has to, it has to be visible we have to have instant consent we can't have consent that's a, a year old even in a hospital if you consented for an operation three weeks ago and now it was cancelled and you're back again, you'll be asked for consent again. Mm. And it's instant consent. 
you know, in the now rather than in the past. See, that I, 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 and, and I don't know where, where, where you stand on that particular uh, matter, Mark. I mean, do you approve of the notion that an adult needs the consent of another adult to do no, I as don't. I actually don't. And okay. I, I would. One, we don't have a registry in this country. We are advocating for one. What's currently in the legislation proposals is that if you want to say no to organ donation, that there'll be a registry where yes. you can say no. We would. We would much prefer if there was a no and a yes registry, so that you could actually put your view in a registry that was available so that the next of kin can be informed at this sort of... But if I'm carrying a card or or it's marked on my driver's licence, as in fact it is marked on my driver's licence, is that not enough? No. It it is very useful. Um, The only place where that is enough is in various U.S. states. If you have signed up on their donor registries, which there's one for every state in the U.S., about half the registries now accept you signing up as consent. Now, we don't do that here. We don't even have a registry, so we want a registry. But there is a strong argument that if you've consented in the past that there should be no need for your next of kin but we don't even have a registry yet if we get a registry and and indeed you know there is a registry it's just not in the department of health over a million people have code 115 on their new driver's license it's seven years old on monday i think and um in the seven years, we have a million people saying yes to organ donation. It's on their driver's license. There's the registry. Mm. That just has to move across to the Department of Health. And we now know, we would know the wishes of 40% of the adult population. That hasn't happened. And the Department of Health don't seem to want it. Now, uh, the Minister for Health, or the outgoing Minister for Health, as he is now, Simon Harris, has been taking a lot of soundings, and they started in fact when, when our own Jerry Buttermer down here was chair of the health committee. The mm-hmm. idea of an of the opt-out system that unless you have specifically said, I do not wish my organs to be donated, that your consent will be assumed. Am I right in saying that the Irish Kidney Association is opposed to this, Mark? And if so, why? Um, we are opposed to it because if you read the legislation, your consent is not going to be presumed, and it's it's that's the headline that your consent is going to be con- presumed, but it's not going to be presumed. And indeed, you know, no one in the health service is going to presume your consent, and indeed, the practice will remain the exact same. So, this headline of your consent. So, is, is, the, min- is, the, is the minister is, is the minister misinformed, or is he misinforming us? Both, as far as I'm concerned. Um, the headlines that come out when this legislation gets mentioned is presumed consent, and then you read into it and you see the next of kin have total control so over the, the consent would, process. On, the next of kin would still have to? Oh, yeah. yeah it, it, the, the legislation is, is not changing the consent process. It's con- changing the headline of it and we're disappointed in that because that infers that you don't need to have a conversation with your family 
oh, I don't have to do a thing. I don't have to carry a donor card. I don't have to put my name in a registry because my consent's going to be presumed. That is the headline from this legislation. And that's the problem because in the workings of it, that's not the way it's going to happen. They are changing things in the UK. There's just something coming up on my screen here. There, The UK now considers that the dying person has ownership of the, of, of the whole process. That's not true. They say they... They're, they're, according to my, what's coming up on my screen here, just doing a quick scan of the, of, of, of the research, the, U, the UK gave ownership to the person who is dying and they removed the inheriting of organs by relatives from the law... But what has happened is the doctors are refusing to accept this change, so it's all the same because of medical ethics. It's a confused mess, and people are dying for the want of organs. Yeah, well, even in that headline that you gave there, I've never heard it, and um, I don't believe it, so I don't know who's given that one as a headline, because that's not the process in the UK. I've never heard it suggested that it was. So the UK is very similar to ourselves, except that they've the Welsh originally were the first to change the process, or let's say change the law. The process hasn't particularly changed at all. Next of kin is essential. It's also essential, see, in these places in the U.S. where you're on a registry. They need the help of the next of kin. They need them on their side. The next, you cannot do something across the next of kin of someone who has just died. You know, that is a very dangerous thing to do. And um, you have to have them on side for the process to work. Like and Frank, Frank is suggesting in that case that the whole card system is, is immaterial. The, the card is no legal basis whatsoever. The card is a reminder to the health service and particularly to the next of kin that I... If I have a card that I'm a willing organ donor and please adhere to my wishes. And the vast majority of, depending on your own view or not, or even the, you know, the divorced wife who's still there written down as the next of kin, but she mightn't be the next of kin at that point, you know, it's very unusual that you would cross the wishes of a dying person. Mm-hmm. Like. John has come up with a point here, which you may just have addressed there. Um, he said, what happens if the person who co-signed the card uh, has died? So that me, for exa- example, as a donor, uh, if the person who co-signed my card has passed away, then who do you ask? Well, if whoever is the current next of kin. Um, if, if, and, and that is the point. It, the co-signing of the card has no legal basis whatsoever. It is just that it has forced a conversation at a certain point between the two individuals passing the information that I want you to realize that I want to be an organ donor. You are my next of kin. Would you sign the card? They do. And it's just a reminder. Yeah. yeah. Kevin it's wants to know. Com- reminder. It's, it's a powerful one. Compared to Austria, say, comparing Ireland and Austria, what's the waiting time? If someone goes on a kid, and this is your own association, so this is right into your own. Yeah, yeah. If, if someone's placed on a waiting list for a kidney today, what's the waiting time compared to, say, Austria, where they have a very, they're considered to have one of the best systems in the world? No, they don't. Far from it. Um, the Spanish have the best system in the world, and followed by the Croatians. I said one of. I said one of. 
Okay, fair enough. Um, the the Austrians have a no register as well, and indeed it's very hard to find it. I think less than 45,000 people are registered to say no to organ donation in Austria. What Austria has is a very proactive, intensive care service that is far more um, open to seeking out organ donation episodes and seeking potential donors. But Austria ran into terrible difficulty trying to bring in presumed consent. And some hospitals were more proactive than others. And there were rows in ambulances about what hospital you went to if you knew that one hospital very proactive about organ donation. I don't want to go there. Yeah. I want to go somewhere else. This type of stuff you don't need in your so health service. The other and big thing about consent as well of the next of kin is, and there's surely, and I know that you might have had the conversation with your wife or your husband or your mother or your brother or whoever, that, like, there's no worse time to ask that question. Correct. So when the loved one has died, there's got to be an easier way a registry. A registry. It's an easier way. Yeah. And the, so you, you would know, search my have, name and I'm up on a registry and then it's no and, and then nobody has to give consent, is correct? Well that would be the ideal, but I don't think it, we need the registry first and we can argue about, you know, the consent mm. in the registry being valid or not. It certainly is in parts of the USA and it's working out quite well. Yeah, I guess as you an know, as yeah. an individual, as an adult. Okay, as as an adult, all right, my lungs, my heart, my kidneys, my corneas, my liver, they're mine, right? And I have said to all of those around me, I don't care what happens to me. I'm finished with these things. I've no more use for them. Take the lot. I think it's wrong that someone can stop me doing that. Nobody can stop you. Oh, your next of kin can, but they're not yours after you die. That's the point. They are. You know, no, Who's they're are not. They? Who's they're, are they? They're not yours. Who's are you're they? Dead. You're, they're probably, and well, in the UK they look at it as an asset of the state, and that's probably if you want to ownership. No one in law and common law talks about ownership of the the deceased body. There's just protocols behind it, and it's it's a very vague area in common law as to who actually owns the deceased body but generally speaking the family own the body right Right. so the family have the consent issue uh, to face and that will probably always be the case and there's nothing wrong with that except that if the family go against your wishes but it's to convince the family in your lifetime that that is your wish but you know we must remember that less than 100 people a year in Ireland end up as utilised organ donors. You know, there'd be about 80 last year. They are very precious. They have to die in very precise circumstances. They have to have viable organs. And they, you know, whatever they died from can't affect the organs. So out of 30,000 people, we end up with less than 100 people dying in the circumstances that we have found dying in the circumstances permitting organ donation. So, I mean, that is the reality that you have to die in very precise circumstances 
it is very disappointing if you, as a transplant or donor coordinator, have found somebody um, ideal. Now, it's tragic for the family and this awful time that you have to ask the family. If the family could be shown either the donor card, but it's not registered, show in a register that you had made this decision at some time in your life, that if you died in these precise circumstances that you wanted to be an organ donor, that takes the the decision almost entirely away from the family. They can see your decision and they nearly always go for it. It's a much safer way to do it. They have your, let's call it old consent, our willingness to be a donor. The family have very few families go against that kind of wish when they can see it in a registry and be shown it. So that is what we would like to achieve. The donor card and the fact that it's in your wallet or not in your wallet on the time is, you know, it's great if it's there. Um, but the odds now, I mean, 40 years ago when we brought out the donor card, it was probably the only piece of uh, card in your wallet. And now there's no room for the donor card in a lot of people's wallets. So this is where the registry would actually yeah. improve organ donation conversion rates from potential donors to actual donors. And that is, we need to get to that stage. At that point, if we have sufficient volume and that we move the consent to the people on the register, that would equally help, but it would be a small part because the vast majority of families knowing your wishes will carry them through. Yeah. Claire says, for example, everybody should be classed as an organ donor unless they specifically opt out. Well, that's that's what the legislation suggests is happening, but in practice it's not going to happen. So, yes, yeah, it would be wonderful if, if that was possible, but it is not possible because yeah. nobody in the health service wants to presume consent from anybody. And, indeed, the whole health service is you know, looking for consent at every stage of of any process within the health service. So why have this sort of opposite thing going on? Mm. Having good consent in a registry is what will work. Everyone being presumed an organ donor doesn't work and indeed offends some people that they want it to be their decision. And indeed, the reaction in the UK was quite at the, at the start mm. of having a no registry. The, m- many more people signed up to say no to organ donation than said yes. Yeah. Quoting actually from a BBC news article here, Fergal has just put the uh, quote up on my screen uh, with regard to common law in the UK. The law states that consent lies with the deceased, but in practice, relatives' wishes are always respected. However, also in practice, if a family still refuses, the donation does not go ahead. Yeah. So there you are. Presumed consent is not in practice in the UK, and it will not be in practice in Ireland, regardless of what Minister Harris or whatever other minister produces. Mm. Would you approve of presumed consent? No. Why ever not? No, it just, I, I don't approve because it doesn't work. And well, what, this hang on, hang on. Why, would it, work. why would it not work? Why would it it not doesn't work? work anywhere. It's not even in practice anywhere why? in Europe. But therefore, but therefore we can't... Uh, uh, if, yeah. if, if, if you're telling me it doesn't work, 
right? But yeah. it's not in practice anywhere in Europe. So how the heck do we know whether it works or not? Because they've tried it and it's failed and they've had to go back to informed consent, regardless of the law of the land. You, so mentioned, the, the, you mentioned, by the way, that the Spanish have the best system. What happens there? The Spanish were the first to introduce a presumed consent law uh, back in 1979. And, you know, within 10 years of presumed, nothing changed. And indeed, nothing changed inside the health service because the health service wouldn't use it. And 10 years later, it's, you know, the Spanish realized that wasn't working. What matters is how the families are approached, how they're managed, how they're asked and how they're cared for. And in the process, the Spanish changed the process and the Spanish introduced donor coordinators across the whole of the Spanish health service. They have broken a record again this year. They'd have an excess of, in excess of double our donors okay. uh, and indeed double our transplant rates because they have a very proactive health service inside the intensive care units okay. that are have a they've an excellent process we'd love to replicate that if we had the money uh but that it's the process is not consent the spanish people don't know about presumed consent because the law was never put into practice in spain it exists in spain so it's never been tested it's been never actually put in practice yeah. in Spain. So you can't yeah. test it until you put it in practice. Mark, I do need to get a commercial break for two minutes. I'm talking to uh, Mark, Mark Murphy, who is the chief executive of the Irish Kidney Association. Following on from Brendan's contact in the show to say that having listened to many items that we did over the course of the last few months, he wanted to become an organ donor. And he was bothered by the fact that having got and signed his donor card, he had to have someone else sign it. And we're now learning that even if you're carrying a donor card, even if you have it on your, on your driver's license, that you want to be an organ donor, that a relative, a next of kin, can stop it on you. And we're discussing that with Mark Murphy, uh, Chief Executive of the Irish Kidney Association. Back in a sec. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cozy nights in solidfueldepot.ie. For 20 minutes of the best music mix. And everything Cork. On Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Ken Tobin here. 2020 kicks off with some great new music from Cola Line, Lewis Capaldi, and the Select Irish track from Cork's Onya Carroll from Mayfield. We keep an eye on showbiz for you. There's a daily Facebook question and lots more besides. Ken Tobin. Weekdays from midday. With the Park Avon Hotel, Muckross Road, Killarney. Formerly Holiday Inn. The perfect base to explore Killarney. See parkavonhotel.com. Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. This discussion has gone on a little longer than we had intended, but it is a very interesting one. The, the ins and outs and the legal complexities of donating your organs. And I mentioned earlier on the, the chair of the former chair of the Oireachtas Health Committee, Senator Jerry Buttimer, uh, and Mark Murphy from the uh, Irish Kidney Association has been going through the, the intricacies of it and says that the new law as currently proposed won't really solve any of the problems that are there. Um, Mark, you're still with me. Senator Jerry Buttimer uh, has called the opinion line. Jerry, good morning. 
Good morning, PJ. Good morning. Uh, what did you want to say, Jerry? Well, I think PJ is too that's a terrible phone ring. Can you maybe get, get a bit closer to your phone? Mark has been consistently opposed, PJ, to, the remo- to any regime change. Um, the Oireachtas Committee that I chaired brought forward this proposal in terms of making it easier for people to donate. There, there, is, the imply- there is the issue of family consent still part of it. What, what, what is being proposed by government uh, is an international best practice. Um, it is about ensuring that we have a soft opt-out system. Uh, and it is about increasing uh, willing donors, and in, in this case, about making us all donors, uh, unless we deem otherwise by, by our consent. Uh, and, and what we must try and do, uh, and if you look at people like Philip Watt and all those involved uh, in the campaign to change the system, it is about a continuum of life. It is about giving people an, uh, an opportunity to have a, a new or a new chance. Uh, and what we're doing is in keeping with best practice. It is a soft opt-out system under the Human Tissue Bill. Uh, and, and, you know, look at the number of people last year who get donated organs and the people who benefited from them. Uh, and, and it is important that we have a conversation about it. But at the same time, it, it isn't about holding on to what we had in the past. It's about recognising that the infrastructure that we have around organ donation must be improved mm-hmm. if we change and when we change the model and delivery in the system. But I think it's important, PJ, that we encourage people and to, to, to become organ donors uh, and the new system will make it easier and will, will, will and consent will be assumed and presumed uh, unless people detail otherwise. But I think Mark needs to be fair to people as well. I'm not going to have a row with Mark and the radio because I respect the work that the Irish Kidney Association have done and they have had a long-held uh, view on this and even recalled the channel one summer to bring it back about the issue. But it is important that we have a real accurate and fair conversation around it. Spain is, this, is, is, Spain is, is one of the role models around organ donation in the world and what we're trying to do is in keeping with best practice and and the, the point that I'm making is that other people who are far more imminently qualified than I am in terms of the field are our supporters want to see change uh, and want to see it done. Uh, obviously, the bill won't become before the Oireachtas dissolved, dissolved, but in the next in the next Oireachtas. Okay. You, 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 you accept what Jerry is saying, Mark? That you know that, that something has to change, and and that this is yeah, but, what they tend to do. Oh, yeah, sure, but but Jerry in this presumption of consent but he wants people to talk to the family the headline of presumption of consent infers that you don't have to talk to your family because your organs it's going to be presumed that you're an organ donor and that's not going to happen so in one they're saying we want everyone to be organ donors but please talk to your family because your family are the ones who are actually going to make the decision there's going to be no presumption of consent and, and, finish, and, Jerry, and I'll bring you back Go on. Sure, okay the intensive care societies, they've all agreed that the process at the moment is going to remain the same. The family consent is essential and indeed nothing will proceed. There will be no presumption of consent. So not everybody is on board. And indeed, I wouldn't expect any presumption of consent in Ireland or the UK or in Spain, it doesn't happen either. If the families say no, it does not proceed in Spain. And indeed, anywhere in Europe, nobody is currently using presumption of consent. Jerry, do you want to answer that? Yeah, the new system, PJ, will will actually bridge the gap between those wishing to do something and actually... Sorry, and actually taking the steps implement that wish and that's what we're trying to do here PJ so I think it is important that we have you know an honest conversation about this Mm. this is about ensuring that we have soft opt-out systems and I repeat the phrase again 
it is in keeping with best international okay. practice. Um, and, and I respect Mark and the work that Mark has been okay. doing, but they have had a consistently held view on this. But we must move forward here, Peter. Okay. I, need, I do need to wrap, but I just want to sum it up with you both. And I think, I think that neither of you will disagree with me on this. The most important thing any of us should ever do is talk to our family. 1,000% in my case, yes. Yeah, all right. Well, yeah. there's agreement at the end. Senator Jerry Buttermer and Mark Murphy of the Irish Kidney Association. Thank you both, of course. Senator Buttermer also a declared candidate in Cork South Central, which means, yeah, I know, we'll be singing these off in our sleep. Also in Cork South Central is the Tonish to Simon Coveney of Fine Gael, Michal Martin and Michael McGrath of Lorna Bogue of the Green Party, Dunach Alera of Sinn Féin, and Bobby Murray Walsh of people before profit. Those are the list of currently declared candidates for Cork South Central. That list will change before the close of, of nominations. But yeah, you're going to be singing these in your sleep for the next couple of weeks, but that's just how we do it with regard balance. Uh, Frank says, I'll donate everything except my liver. <coughs> Bulmers want it back. Thank you, Frank. Boom, boom. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Focus coal, turf, gas, and kiln dried wood. Open late, seven days. Solidfueldepot.ie. Turn up the beat and drop that noise. Cork's 96 FM's hit mix. Online. Turn it up right now. Our new streaming platform playing the freshest hits all the time. Woo. Hi, I'm Demi. Listen on our app or click 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. That's something we might come back to. The whole organ do In fact, we will come back to the whole concept of organ donation again because it, it engages our listeners very much. Reading in the examiner, uh, Neil Michael and Owen English uh, writing about Cork City face a bill of one million euro to accommodate people in emergency accommodation that it turned down for council housing. That's a very interesting headline and it raises an issue that I certainly wasn't aware of. Neil Michael uh, joins me now. Neil, I wasn't aware that you had to be gather vetted for social housing. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, you do indeed. Um, certainly, uh, there's uh, where there's a lot of interest in a particular property. Um, I think as far as I know, you apply online and then there's um, a series of checks that are done. There's an interview. Um, there is a, a, a law that this is all done under and it's been in operation for apparently quite a while. Here we go. Uh, Section 14 of the Housing Miscellaneous Provisions Act of 1997. Um, basically, uh, it, it allows a housing authority to refuse uh, an allocation of a dwelling to a person if they've been engaged in antisocial behaviour um, or if the allocation to that person would not be in the interest of good estate management. And as part of all that, um, this is also to do with the Housing Acts of 1966 to 2009. They may request and obtain information from other bodies, including Angarda Shea Corner and the Criminal Assets Bureau. And fair play to them. I mean, you know, why, you know, there might be relevant information. Somebody mm. might have, a, 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 you know, it might be before the courts. Uh, they're, at the end of the day, they're the landlords. They're deciding who lives where. People are applying to live certain places. You know, obviously, they think this is, is, this is relevant. But obviously, 
what's important now is or is the idea that there are vulnerable people in society being put up in emergency accommodation mm. uh, and they may or may not know and I did ask about this uh, whether or not they're being housed with a convicted burglar or um, a, a, you know I don't know you know they didn't specify uh, what mm. criminal convictions or, or whether or not everyone of in this category have criminal convictions i think it's certainly the it's, case it's a thing that can polarize people i guess if you live in in a council state um you don't want someone with like you said a string of convictions going into number 7 which is a vacant house you don't want someone going in who was a criminal past you'd rather have a a nice well vetted clean living young family going in there if if you if you can at all the problem is when you uh, when you when you turn down the guy who wants number seven, you still have to accommodate him, which is why we're paying for that in the hotels. Well, just one quick thing in terms of convictions and all the rest of it, you can get council housing with a string of convictions. It's not that it's, I think what it is, is they look at it in a fairly, I get the impression they look at it in a very sort of pragmatic way. If you committed a number of crimes, maybe five, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and you've turned a corner in your life. I think they take that on board. Yes. But yeah, in terms of the people who um, are then put into private accommodation, um, you know, they are obliged to, as far as I know, they're obliged to um, to, to to pay the costs for families uh, uh, eligible for emergency accommodation. Um, and I think they take the view that it's irrespective of their individual circumstances. Um, but then I asked County Council how they feel about safety issues that could arise as a result of placing people with criminal convictions alongside some of the most vulnerable people in society and their response was quite interesting they said health and safety provisions and emergency accommodation facilities are the responsibility of the organization providing those facilities in other words it's not our responsibility oh, and that that's interesting no yes fascinating yeah kind of raises more questions than it answers. It does, to these yeah. And then I asked the Department of uh, Hel- uh, Housing in uh, in Dublin, you know, this is a national issue. Can you tell me what it's like around the country? Uh, and when I say it's a national issue, this is exactly what the council told councillors uh, the other night in the full council meeting. And Department of Housing said, nothing to do with us. This is a matter for Cork City Council. Oh, in other words kicking the can down the road, or just simply not answering the question. Mm. Listen, we just wanted to catch up with you on it. It's an interesting story. It's in today's examiner, Neil Michael uh, and All English, the authors. You need gather vetting to get into council housing. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Neither did a lot of people know that. But also, if you're torn down because you don't can't get gather vetting, you can't get cleared, then you've still got to be accommodated and we're paying out about a million a year to accommodate them. 1850-715-996. Something we might come back to tomorrow, maybe, if you've particular views on any side of that argument. Like for example, should one need to be guarded vetted for a social house? I'm not guarant- I'm not guarded vetted if I'm buying a private house in a private apartment uh, in a private estate. But you've got to be guarded vetted for a council house. D- do you agree with that? Should you have to be? Something we might return to tomorrow. Special guest in studio next. Haven't spoken to JLo in a while. What? Yeah, JLo, next. The Opinion Line on Corks 96 FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kill dried wood, and gas. SolidFuelDepot.ie. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out.
Big Drive Home, weekdays from 4. On Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. This week on the show, we'll see how well you know your music. A one-second song continues. You pick the playlist on the takeover. We'll get you the latest on Cork traffic with the 96FM Street Fleet. And it's all wrapped up with the best music mix for your Big Drive Home. The Big Drive Home. With GoBus.ie. Reliable, non-stop return services from Cork to Dublin City and Airport. Seat sale now on at GoBus.ie. Cork's 96. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96 FM. When I said I hadn't spoken to JLo in a while, I'm sure people said, What? Does he talk? I meant this one. Hi, John. <laughs> Hello, Peter. You know what? I've got a picture uh, of the other J Lo and myself, and I keep saying that because you know my my email is J Lo by Doctor and I said not to be confused with Jennifer Lopez. You should try um, as best you can to yes. catch her sometime for a selfie. Well, I have a selfie with her. Have you? But sadly, she's wax. It's in okay. Madame Tussauds. <laughs> <laughs> it's a start. It's a start. John, as always, the book is out. I, I've been a fan of this book for many, many years. You bring it out towards the end of the year, the Money Doctors 2020. You're in Cork today for a yep. couple of events, so we said we'd get you in for a chat because this is the time. I always want to come back from January and say to people, right, the trousers is a little bit tighter. Mm-hmm. The wallet is considerably lighter. Absolutely. After Christmas and New Year, now is the time to sit down and look at the finances for the yeah. 12 months ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And the advice is nearly always the same. What are the basics? Well, the basic is get get to a budget. You know, this is a really brilliant time, uh, PJ, to uh, look at all your I- income, look at all your expenditure. And, I mean, uh, again, I've, I've, I've sent you actually a little budget planner spreadsheet with, you know, uh, Cork 96 FM uh, listener, if they want to get it from yourself um, and it's an ideal time where all the categories are there like you have a TV license most of us have a TV license mm. uh, and you're paying 160 a year well if you're doing a monthly budget properly you're going to put down 13 euros 33 cents now you don't have to worry when it comes in because you've budgeted from your income right. now all you have to do is just populate the other fields which includes you know electricity your car right. expenses your medical expenses right. your eating all those kind of things so are sit are down and work out work out because the, the key here is you are going to hopefully have a surplus and it is actually that surplus is what you plan that's the essence of planning is the surplus when I tell you that it's going to cost um, 42,000 to send one child to third level if, if you put the 140 child benefit from the time your child is born Mm. Um, from and, and never touched it, and ninety nine percent of families uh, uh, unfortunately can't do that because mm. they need it needed for the for the family. Um, but if you didn't touch it at the end of the seventeen long years, because it finishes on the eighteenth birthday, you'd have accumulated twenty eight thousand five hundred and sixty euro. You're still fourteen thousand shy to send that same child to third yeah. level. Yeah. So. Everything is about planning, whether it's, you know, if, if you think of, of it now, it's there's 344 days, 45 days, I think, to Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so, Bad enough when I so, say that. When they yeah, I know. Is. So, so you, you, you know, you're talking about this year, you've got birthdays, anniversaries, mm. um, you've got Father's Day, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day is next month, and then your Christmas, your mini holidays, your main holidays. Mm. You know, no matter what happens this year, you are going to spend money. 
on those areas. So why not plan it? Yeah. And then the, the big thing that, that 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 hits people though, and will hit them, is you can make all the plans you want, okay, and sit down with your spreadsheet, and you can spend hours at it, and then the boiler bursts. This is where the rainy day fund comes in. I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the second key thing to have. I maintain that you should have between three and six months uh, net annual income, joint net annual income, in a rainy day fund for exactly those things. Three things actually. One is an emergency, the boiler goes or the clutch goes. Two is a sudden loss of income. How many people have not got a bonus this year or are not getting one or maybe have had their hours reduced or maybe have told you can't do any more overtime or maybe have even been made redundant. Mm. That's where the rainy day fund comes in. And the third reason is the investment opportunity. Again, how many people who are struggling there paying rent uh, and can't afford to save because they need to get a deposit for their home. And, you know, I, I, I'm even thinking of my own daughter now who's paying 1100 along with another girl, 1100 2200 PJ, for a two-bedroom apartment in Dunleary without a view. That's no view. criminal. 2200 How can anybody... Um, save uh, when they're paying but that kind of money. It's impossible. You can't do it's, a rainy day fund. It's really impossible. You know. So, uh, and that's the key. So, you know, w- that you you really do have to save. So, the first thing would be to to save a rainy day fund, and then you can worry about the boiler burden. There's a guy in America. His name is Dave Ramsey. He's huge and so simplistic because, like, he has 529 uh, syndicated radio stations. He sells four million books a year. He's like, you know, mm. but he has this thing called. Eight baby steps, and you know what his very first baby step is mm. $1,000. That's all you need $1,000 as a rainy day fund. I think it's not enough. Mm. You need, as I say, three to six months net annual income. So I would have thought that's you know, a lot of money in a household with well, two jobs. Say six to twelve thousand, yeah, roughly mm. six to twelve thousand. Um, um, I mean, accumulating like keeping that there once you have it. Mm. Is, is okay. Yeah. But accumulating that for the average family and the average home yeah. is a lot of money. It is a lot of money if you have to start from scratch, I agree. Um, but it's baby steps, literally. Um, one of the things that, again, a lot of listeners will, will have uh, maxed out their credit card mm. uh, this Christmas. So what I will give you as a tip is there are four credit card providers who will take your balance... Mm. And if you're only paying the minimum, by the way, it'll take you 20 years to pay off the balance. Do you, mm. you realise that? So if you'd get the balance, you transfer it to one of these four um, uh, credit card providers, uh, they do it at 0% for that period. Now, KBC, permanent TSB are six months. Mm. Bank of Ireland are seven months. But the winner is Onpus Money, who have a 12-month credit card uh, provision, whereby you transfer the balance over them. So you have a 1,200 debt. Mm. There's nobody who can really afford to pay 1,200 in the month of January off no. their credit card bill. So you transfer it over to them. You pay 100 a month for 12 months. At the end of 12 months, your credit card is clear. You can start again. Mm. So, I mean, that's just to get rid of a credit card debt. I mean, again, uh, you know, when, when, you, when you're, you're faced with, uh, say, an overdraft and the bank is telling you you've got to, uh, you know, pay it off because you've got 30 days in credit, mm. or you can go and we'll transfer it into a loan. Well, shop around for that loan. Go to your local credit union. They have really good rates yeah. in some of the credit unions. You mentioned credit unions. Yeah. I think they're the saviours of many people up and down the country. They are, and they are dying, literally, to give out money because, you know... Um, your local friendly credit union uh, is not uh, giving out as many loans as they would like. What actually happened 10, 12 years ago, 62% of the money that was being brought into credit unions was being lent out to the people. And they were happy 
12 years later, PJ, it's now 32%. And why is that? Well, because people are reticent about borrowing. They're reticent about using their credit cards. So that's why the credit card debts have also come down. But more importantly, with the surplus of monies that are in the credit unions, guess what's happening? They're having to keep the money on deposit with the banks. Now the banks are saying, well, we're going to charge you for this. So AIB are charging 0.655%. Bank of Ireland are charging 0.4% for the credit unions. Mm. So uh, that's why they've reduced the threshold of amounts of money that you can have. So make a budget. Try to save a little bit, whatever you can. John, we've got about two minutes to go. I want you, you always down the years have always made accurate, and I would call them fearless predictions. Yes. Now, the government are telling us that the economy is back on track. That's their big selling point for this election. Back on track. Uh, you've called it fearlessly many, many times. Are we back on track? Are we in recovery? Are we going the right way? Well, I mean, I could, I could first of all talk for, forever on this subject, but I mean, if you just look at pensions, you know, 20 years ago, we were supposed to be bringing in auto enrolment, which is basically where every employer uh, pays um, a pension for their staff, their, their, their employees. Uh, in two years' time, this is supposed to be coming in. I believe it's even been now uh, put out. In, uh, in 30 years' time, PJ, there will be 1.8 million. That's nearly three times the amount mm. of people that will be uh, in retirement. Last year, for every person who retired, 30 years' time, there's going to be two. So it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that the government simply won't have the money in 30 years' time. The state pension won't be there. So that's why in the book, actually, I've I've highlighted non-nationals, a guide to live in Ireland. Everything you want to know about uh, who have generously decided to come over to Ireland, live and work here and pay into the uh, exchequer funds because they are going to be our saviours in 30 years' time. All right. We're we're facing down the road of a pension disaster. We'll call it, we'll talk about it probably another day, John, because you want us, do you want people to start? Some of my listeners are in their late 20s, early 30s. That's right. They they need to start now. Well, do you know what? Uh, Believe it or not, I had a young lady in my office and it was quoted in this national newspaper uh, who was 26 uh, and after 40 minutes of a consultation, she was visibly upset, BJ, at the idea that she'd missed out on two years' pension contributions. Okay. We need to start. We need to start now. John, always a pleasure to Thank talk you, to you. PJ. The book is brilliant, as usual. John Lowe, The Money Doctor. Moneydoctors.ie is the website. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Thanks, Deirdre. Thanks, Fergal. We're all back in the morning just after night.